Welcome to Talking Melons for 2020, a series of presentations that brings you a range of topics to assist in growing and marketing Australian melons. The presentations are available on the Melons Australia website as a video, a podcast, and as a slide deck. Visit www.melonsaustralia.org.au. Hello, I am Tony Patterson from the Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries. I'm based in North Queensland and have been working on soil health issues for the past 20 years, mostly with the banana industry. The presentation I will give today is about soil health, how you need to understand the constraints, using indicators to develop better solutions. And during this presentation, I'd like to describe how you can use this knowledge to improve melon production. From the presentation, I hope that you take away some ideas and concepts that you can apply to your farm. When we think about production, a simplified version focuses on crops like melons. We apply inputs to the crop to maximise our production, focusing solely on yields, quality and profitability. I'd like to expand this production concept into a soil health framework. Here we think about more than just the crop, the inputs and production. Using a soil health framework, we gain a better understanding of the soil, how it functions and constraints limiting those functions. As well, focusing on, on crop inputs, we develop solutions to overcome constraints and use indicators to validate that we are heading in the right direction. Instead of just production, we set goals of which production and profitability will be one, but also include sustainability of our farms. I will go through these points giving some examples from my work in bananas. So let's start. Firstly, what is soil? Soil is typically 45% mineral, 25% water, 25% air and 5% organic matter. These four components govern the soil's chemical, physical and biological functions. At the heart of soil functions is organic matter which can heavily influence all soil properties. As an example, there are four soils on your screen, labelled A, B, C and D. They're from four different land uses, all within 500 metres of one another. From their appearance, that is their structure and colour, we can see that there are differences. Can you guess which sample belongs to which land use? If you put them in the order rainforest, pasture, poor banana and good banana, you are correct. We did not need measurements to see the soils had different properties. We can simply tell from the colour and structure that different land uses can have a big impact on our agricultural soils. But there are a lot of soil properties that we can't see. Soil biology is one of these. For each teaspoon of soil, roughly around 8 grams, we have 800 million bacteria, 800,000 fungal forming units and up to 42 metres of hyphae, 8 million actinobacteria, 1,300 nematodes, 137 mites and one ant. As we know, these organisms vary in size. The ones we can't see are a few micrometres like the bacteria, fungi and protozoa. Larger organisms like nematodes, rotifers, 
mites and micro insects are still tiny and we need a microscope to see them. But then there are larger organisms that we can see easily, like ants, beetles and worms. When we deal with soil biological organisms, there are three basic things we want to know. How active they are. Secondly, who is there, so their diversity. And thirdly, their function. What do they do? The function of soil organisms providing healthy soils relates strongly to the performance of soils for agricultural purposes. Soil structural stability supports plant growth. Storage and recycling of nutrients helps to supply nutrients for crop demands. Storage of water in the soil again helps with crop demands. And soil biological diversity gives suppression of pests and diseases. And nullifying toxins and heavy metals makes our produce safe to eat. But when it comes to soil health, it is the suppression of pests and diseases that relies heavily on the biological component. And that is what I would like to talk about a bit more. In bananas, we have a problem like, fusar like melons with fusarium wilt. In some work with my colleagues at the University of Queensland, we sterilised soil and left some soil untreated, so it retained its biological component. We then added fusarium wilt pathogen to the different soils and measured the abundance of the pathogens 21 days later. What happened was there was a slight increase in fusarium wilt pathogen in the untreated soil, but a 2,500 fold increase in the abundance of the pathogen in the sterilised soil. If we remove the biological component of the soil, there is nothing to stop pathogens and they take advantage of the lack of competition. So soil sterilisation is an extreme example, but there are many common less extreme examples which form soil constraints. Some of the soil constraints affecting crops can be physical, for example compaction, chemical like soil acidity, or biological mostly pests and diseases. The soil constraints can be inherent, which means that the constraint is due to soil type. For example, sandy soils will have low nutrient and water holding capacity. We can tell some of these constraints from soil maps and knowing the soil type. Other constraints can be induced, usually through prolonged cropping, soil degradation or poor soil management. What is the solution to prevent poor soil health? We can make some generalisations about the types of practices that will induce soil degradation, like tillage and burning, monocultures, overgrazing, or overfertilising, or excessive use of agrochemicals. Similarly, we can make some generalisations about practices that can improve soil health, practices that have low soil disturbances, practices that increase plant diversity, maintaining a better chemical balance and retaining moisture. These solutions are just generalisations and may not apply to specific soil problems. To know that we are addressing soil health constraints, we need to use indicators. And I've classed indicators into four levels. The first level being visual indicators like what we did at the beginning of this presentation 
looking at the four soils from different land uses. The next set of indicators gives us more quantifiable information and can be used in the field. These are good for diagnosing constraints and problems. The third level requires samples to be sent away and are much more sensitive than indicators in the first two levels. This is like taking a soil test to be sent to a laboratory for nutrient analysis. The final level of indicators are more research tools that are usually highly sensitive but also expensive and sometimes difficult to interpret. For soil biology there's a wide range of methods available which use different techniques for different organisms. There are the more traditional morphological techniques that use organisms' shapes and features allowing them to be identified. Then there are biochemical techniques that measure the functions of the soil organisms. Lastly, there are molecular techniques which are becoming more powerful and accessible which uses the soil organisms' DNA. Let me give you an example of how we are using the latest molecular techniques in the banana industry. Bananas, like all plants and animals, has a microbiome, that is, a unique set of organisms that exist in and around the plant. We have used next generation sequencing to look at the organisms present in the different parts of a banana plant and in different soils. What this has found is that there is greater diversity in the soil and around the, the roots, which is reduced when you move inside the plant irrespective of soil types, which are indicated by the different colours on the chart. As we move up the plant, the microbial diversity tends to decrease even further. The interaction of these organisms can be mapped so that we know which organisms communicate with who in the microbe world. This brings us back to the framework for implementing improved soil health on your farm. As I have discussed, we have our crop, melons in this case, which we grow in soils that we want to perform specific functions to sustain production. However, there are constraints to soils delivering these functions. We can overcome these constraints through management and developing soil health solutions. We can then use indicators to determine if the management we have implemented is having an impact or if we need to rethink our soil management and work towards our long-term goals of production and sustainability. The soil health plan may look something like this, where we set out our activities, outcomes and goals. Starting with the result in mind, we set out our aspirational goals. We then set about how we are going to achieve these by saying what we will do and where we will do it. This is something we can control. We then think about the outcomes we would like to see from our actions and, and how we are going to determine if we have been successful. The outcomes are out of our control but we can influence them to determine if, if we are being successful by using the appropriate indicators. An example I would like to share with you from the work I've been doing in bananas is to reduce the risk of fusarium wilt and maintain productivity. Reading our plan from left to right, we are going to implement 100% living ground cover around our plants. We are going to do this in blocks 3 and 4, 
To determine if we are successful and having an impact, we are going to look at four indicators, bulk density, beta-glucosidase enzyme activity, biological nematode diversity, and fusarium levels in the soil. This is so that we can reduce soil compaction, increase organic carbon, reduce pesticides, and reduce disease. Ultimately, we want better root growth and disease suppression. The photo shows what this may look like when we implement ground covers. So using our indicators, we can see that we have been successful at reducing soil bulk density under the ground cover, the green bar, compared to the bare soil, the red bar. Our beta-glucosidase enzyme activity, which measures organic matter decomposition, continues to increase over the two years, the green line compared to the bare soil, the red line. Our nematode biological diversity has declined following planting, but it remains higher under the ground cover, the green line, compared to the bare soil, the red line. Also, very importantly, the abundance of fusarium oxysporums in the soil has been reduced. Under the ground cover, the green bar, compared to the, the bare soil, the red, red bar. If we go back to our soil health plan, we can see how we have progressed and how management changes have had an impact. We have implemented the vegetated ground cover practice, so tick. We have done this in blocks three and four, so tick. More importantly, we have information that shows we have reduced soil bulk density, increased our beta-glucosidase enzyme activity, increased nematode biological diversity, and reduced the abundance of fusarium oxysporums. So we get another big tick. Have we overcome our soil constraints and improved soil functions? Possibly, but this is an ongoing outcome so we can only say probably. Have we achieved our aspirational aim of improved root and health and reduced disease risk? Again, this is most likely, but we cannot measure it directly, so we need to use the indicators to suggest that we seem to be heading in the right direction. So therefore, we can still only give this a question mark. We can apply these same principles to melons by understanding the soil constraints on our farms. We can use the soil health framework to determine if the solutions we are implementing are having an impact and moving our soil health in the right direction. We can test something like compost application or another organic amendment. We can even apply the principles to test biological approaches. Or we could use cover crops and crop rotation. Or we may want to implement direct planting into organic mulch. So in conclusion, there are three points I would like you to take away. Firstly, soil health is not magic. It accounts for physical, chemical and biological soil properties and their interactions. Secondly, understand your soil constraints. Know the limitations of your soil and manage the most limiting factors, not just the symptoms. Thirdly, develop an action plan. Set short, medium and long-term goals. Use indicators to determine if your soil health solutions are achieving your long-term goals. And finally, some acknowledgements. Firstly, I'd like to thank my colleague Hazel Garza for the work she has done, particularly with the enzyme assays. 
and my University of Queensland colleagues, Dr. Paul Dennis and his PhD student, Henry Bird, who have been working on the molecular side of things and defining the microbiome of bananas to suppress fusarium wilt. And with that, I would also like to thank Gary Fullerlove for inviting me to give this presentation and for your participation in this program. Thank you very much. Yeah.